Good morning. First Sunday in 2019. Whew, can you believe it? I won't ask for a show of hands. How many made New Year's resolutions? I don't know if people really make them anymore. Because if you say those words and you don't keep them, then you know you feel so bad about yourself. Um, but we just can't help it. At the beginning of a new year, we think about personal goals, um, plans, things we, we know we should do, changes that should be made. I think resolutions are actually good. Of course, if you're going to have any success at them, you've got to make a firm decision, a, a commitment, right? And a commitment means that you're going to have a, a time and a place and hopefully a partner, you know, a friend, a buddy, a group, whatever, that will help hold you accountable and encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Because it takes, right, at least 30 days to become a habit. Well, today um, I want to propose a resolution. It's my resolution, but I want to propose it to you. Then I hope that for all of us, those of us who uh, claim to be Christians, believers, I will want to strive for in 2019 and beyond. This is it. To rid our lives of anything and everything that's holding us back from living totally for Jesus Christ. That's my proposal, my resolution, beginning January 6, 2019. Turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews. If you're familiar with the passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It is up on the screen, all right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the author of Hebrews starts out, he writes, therefore. Well, what's it there for, right? So in the context, he's actually looking back to chapter 11. In chapter 11, many of us know that's called the kind of the hall of faith. So he says, I want you to consider that every believer, everyone that's trying to, to follow God by faith, starting with Abel, and then he takes you down through all these um, men and women of God throughout history, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, the prophets, and all those that are known and all those that are unknown who lived and who died, believing, if you want to look there, Hebrews 11.1, 1, a definition of faith. This is what they believe. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
to all those men and women throughout history that believed that. They had faith in God and his promises. And all of those that are following him by faith today. So faithful believers who have gone before us and all the present-day followers of Christ, he says they are like a mass of clouds, a multitude of witnesses. Now, they're not spectators. They're participants, okay? And the scene is that you're in a race. You're competing in a race. And they're surrounding you. And they're encouraging you on. Don't quit. Don't give up. This is a race of faith. And you're in it. So he says, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Good runners, especially those who compete to win, know that they must rid their lives themselves of any extra weight. Excess body fat, got to go. Heavy clothing, can't carry anything with them into the race. In fact, I learned that in the first century, many athletes even ran naked. Glad we're not doing that anymore. (laughs) Might improve ticket sales, but no, we won't. Don't go there. He said, rid your life of any known sin. Think about that. Any habit, addiction, be it lust, be it anger, be it laziness, be it jealousy, be it envy, be it bitterness, be it slander, be it an unforgiving heart, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what's entangling you this morning? What's got itself wrapped around your legs that's inhibiting you from running? What's slowing you down? What's keeping you from going forward? What do you need to let go of today? This isn't for tomorrow or later on, but right now in this very moment. What is it you need to let go of? And this is more than a New Year's resolution that you might very well not follow through with. This is the resolve to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to be free. And if you're overwhelmed by that thought right now, and you just think you're so deep into it, and you can't be free, I want to encourage you. Yes, you can. And we want to help you. We will help you. Somebody will help you. The Lord Jesus will help you. (laughs) You can be free from that. The Apostle Paul wrote um, in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Then he begins a section talking about what you need to put off, like put off stealing and then put on actually working so that you have money to be able to share with others. Put off unwholesome talk so that you can have, right, the words that would encourage and build up somebody. So it's a, it's a putting off and a putting on. He does that again in the book of Colossians. Throw off, remove, get rid of all sin. But he also says here, everything that hinders, everything. It might not necessarily be wrong. Oh, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. We know what sin looks like. At least we think we do. But it might not necessarily be wrong, but it's a practice. It's a ritual. It's a routine. It's whatever. It's a relationship. It's what you might feel is your right. Yes, even the things that you're very good at. In fact, it might be your very, it could be your success that's hindering you, that's holding you back. And he says, remove it. Throw it off. Get rid of the excess weight so that you can run the race. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read a verse to you. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He's, so Paul's telling Timothy, um, I want you to, to flee. Um, the message says, run for your life. Paul's telling Timothy, flee from all this. And he's looking back at these previous verses and he's got a list of lots of things that Timothy needs to, uh, to, take, in, to, to take to heart as a, uh, as a young leader, pastor. Make sure you're teaching the people this. But particularly, look at verse um, 10. One of the things he says that you need to flee from. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think that was interesting because I think it really um, is pertinent to us in our society and our culture. This idea of um, the love of money, how it can hinder us from running well, running the race. Now, don't misunderstand. It's the love of money. So having money or wealth, that's, that's not the issue, is it? In fact, um, you know, the Bible isn't teaching you can't save for retirement or uh, you know, can't own a home. Please, take Financial Peace University. Get a handle on your debt and your spending. Take charge of your finances so they don't take charge of you. Right? And may God bless you with lots so that you can invest in his kingdom. That's a beautiful thing. But that's different than the love of money. When you love something, you reach after it. You're grasping for it. You pursue it with all your heart. You love possessions, the position, 
the power that they often bring. A love for material things is a sign that we are living for what we can see. We're living for the here and now. We're living in the sense of self-sufficiency. We're not living by faith. We're not living in total dependence upon Christ. Then Paul says, flee. Flee from that. It's a trap. And it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Back to our text in Hebrews chapter 12. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. Run for your life. Run, Forrest, run. And don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look over your shoulder. Just keep running with perseverance the race marked out for us. Oh, this is good news. It's good news because you realize it's not a competition. Oh, that's so cool. I'm not competing with you. I'm not racing against you. Jesus actually planned out a race route. He designed it especially for me. And another one for you and you. It's a long-distance run. It's a marathon. It's a marathon of faith that I and you, we must run. We persevere in that. And it's not about performance. Oh, wow, is he a great runner? No. And I do performance. It's about faithfully following Jesus on the narrow way. Whether it's a nice downhill, nice and smooth and relaxing, or it's one of those steep, difficult climbs. Let us run. Run with perseverance, a race marked out for us. Hmm. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Literally, it says, with no eyes for anyone or anything except Jesus. That's what he's saying there. No eyes for anyone or anything else. It's all about Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author or the founder of our faith. It was by placing your faith in Jesus Christ that got you into the race to begin with, wasn't it? And now Jesus, if you imagine, by his spirit, is running along beside you. He's coaching you. He's training you. He's providing everything you need that you can keep going, perfecting our faith. He's making you you run better. He's making you to be more like him, isn't he? Working on you, changing you to be more like Jesus. You're free. You are free to run unhindered. You're free now not to reach and grasp after what the world's offering, but to free to reach and to grasp and to pursue Jesus Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. Another familiar passage, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 verse 8. 
Paul says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Basically, he's saying, you know, all that I did and all the successes and all the glory, it's a bunch of crap compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He is my goal. He is the prize at the end of the race. He's the gold medal. He's the crown, the crown of glory. Isn't that amazing? Back to our text. Back to Hebrews 12. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Well, there's nothing joyful about the cross. One commentator uh, wrote this. He said, Jesus looked right through the cross to the coming joy of bringing salvation to those he loves. He (laughs) could look right through the cross, through the suffering, through the pain, through the sacrifice, and he could see you. And he could see me. And because of his incredible love for us, He was able to endure that, and there's the joy. The joy set before him to do his Father's will and to provide salvation for us. Scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. The shame of an execution reserved only for criminals. And here we have the sinless, righteous, Son of God, we just celebrated his birth. Emmanuel, God with us. And he bore our sin and he bore our shame. And he took upon himself the rejection and the scorn that we so deserved. And he did it for his beloved. Oh, that moves me. Scorning its shame. And then it says, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the work. And we just celebrated that. He died on the cross, bore our sins. He rose on the third day. And he ascended to heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So the work of atonement was finished. Salvation for sin was complete. Jesus was our sacrifice once and for all, says Hebrews. 
once and for all. No exceptions. Every single person on planet Earth, past, present, future, once and for all. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured. He did it. He completed the race for us. So not only is our salvation complete, right, in him, nothing else to do. That's why it is by grace, right? Because it's finished once and for all. But he's already run the course. He ran the race, so therefore he totally understands what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're experiencing. There's nothing you could (laughs) go through that you could say, well, God just doesn't get it. Why? Why doesn't he understand me? Why doesn't he? Why, why, why? He does. He understands the why. He is there with every passing mile. He does. He understands and he does care. Listen to the same passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, uh, in the message. It's entitled, A Discipline in a Long Distance Race. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there. He's in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item. That long litany of hostility he had to plow through. Whew. That'll shoot adrenaline into your veins and into your souls. I began running years ago. I am not that fast. You probably define it more as a jog. I can never win a competition. You know, and I have this love-hate relationship um, with running. You know, the, the love part of it is I love being outdoors, so treadmill's a drag. And I love being active, and I want to, you know, stay heart healthy. At least I think it's helping, best that I know. Um, but on the other side, it can be kind of boring and frustrating and just downright painful. You know, the calf attacks, the shin splints, rolled an ankle. Man, doing this for um but i believe that the pain as they say is worth the gain so like it or not i make myself get up and i take that first step it's always hardest isn't it take the first step whatever you're doing Oh, I want to encourage you today. Remember, remember that you are running from temptation to sin. You're, 
and from anything that's holding you back from living for Christ. But you are not running from reality. You are not running from your problems. And you are not running from your fears. It's not that kind of run away. 1 Peter 5, Peter tells us, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. It's a race of faith, isn't it? Levi Lusko uh, wrote a great book called Through the Eyes of the Lion. Um, I highly recommend it. And in that book, he says this. Um, I want to read you a little bit. I'm fascinated by the way lions hunt. I've read that it's the lioness that actually does the lion's share of the work. The males are obviously incredibly intimidating with their manes and their ferocious roars, but it's the females you really have to watch out for. Why are we laughing at that? <laughs> Talking about lions, okay? The fact that a lioness, um, lionesses do not have a big recognizable mane actually helps them sneak up on whatever they are hunting. See, they lie in wait, hidden in the tall grass, motionless like statues. While the females stalk their prey from behind, the king of the jungle will come out from the front and let loose one of those roars that gives him the spot on the top of the food chain. This sound is so powerful it can be heard for up to five miles. Hearing that terrifying noise causes a gazelle or antelope to run as far as they can from whatever made that sound. What they don't know is that as scary as it sounded, the one who did the roaring is more bark than bite. So away they go, directly into the path of the real threat, the waiting lioness. In other words, the prey's instincts are wrong. Going with their guts causes them to make the last mistake of their short little lives. It's counterintuitive. But the right choice, right, would have been to override their emotions and run toward the roar. It's shocking how often that is true. When you run from the things that scare you, you move toward danger, not away from it. If you fail to face your fears, they will always be right there behind you. You must suppress that little voice inside that's telling you to get out of Dodge. It is not your friend. When you feel that panicky, fight or flight sensation, you want to run away, do the opposite. Run. Run toward the roar. You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Lasco goes on to say, God calls us to go places that frighten us so that we will willfully and fully trust him. The only way for you to see God do the things he desires to do in you and through you is to run toward the roar again and again and again unquote God created you to do great things my brothers and sisters God created you to do great things amazing things things that will bring you much joy don't settle for anything less 
Don't give up. Run. Run. Many of you know that um, I'll be starting my sabbatical this week. Wow. Reality. (laughs) The uh, elders are freeing me from all my ministry responsibilities at FBC to have this time away. After which I will return rested and rejuvenated uh, about mid-May. And what can I say to them? What can I say to you? But, but thank you. Thank you so much. I will be forever grateful uh, for this opportunity, forever grateful for this amazing gift. It is not deserved, and it is very humbling. Uh, Vicky and I plan to, to get away for, for a little while. Uh, I'll be furthering my education, studying to be a life coach. And fortunately, my classes are all online. So my classroom gets to go with me uh, via my laptop. Uh, I love to learn new things. And so I'm very confident that this subject that I'll be studying will be helpful. Not just to me personally, but hopefully helpful um, to you. And I come back as one of your pastors. However, the studies, they're really not the main purpose of the sabbatical. This is a time to retreat. I need to get away long enough to get refreshed and then be able to refocus. Refocus on deepening my relationship with Jesus. Which I also hope will improve my relationships with others. I want him to show me what I need to throw off. What weights do I need to get rid of in order to run by faith a little better? Trust him more. Love him more. Enjoy him more. And I've never done a sabbatical before, so I would appreciate your prayers. And I don't plan to, to come back making you know, major changes to what I do. My prayer is that I would be changed. Just pray that. For some of you, that'll be easier than others. Please change it more. <laughs> it's got to come back different, right? Oh, that I would return with a deeper love for Christ and a deeper love for you. I'm definitely going to miss you. Okay, well, let's just try to wrap this up. And, um, I would put this into, into practice, right? Try to make it a little bit of application. So let's see. Oh, microphone. All right. Well, for some of you here today, um, you've never, you've never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you know it. You know that you sin. <laughs> and you know you really are a sinner. And uh, he's asking you today to, uh, to throw it off, to lay it down, to repent. And then to 
to receive him, to receive his forgiveness. Complete. (laughs) He did it. Again, as we said, once for all. Forgiven. Nothing you can do. It's all by grace. You just need to receive. Receive him. And then you're, you're in the race. You're running. He's with you. Now for the rest of us who are in the race, and maybe some of us have been in it for a while, well, <laughs> it's still possible, right? <laughs> that there's some sin, some known sin in your life, right? Time to throw it off. Time to get rid of it. Time to let it go. And maybe there are some other things you're doing. Maybe it's your job, again, relationship that you're in. Something you're pursuing that's taking you in the wrong direction. I know you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, aren't you? (laughs) There it is. Let it go. That easy? No. But it's the first step, isn't it? It's the first step. Then, then you can run freely. Then you can really start to move. And I know that's just, a, again, that's a decision you make and you've got to keep going with it. So it's no different than we talked you know, about earlier in that um, a decision means you've got to make a commitment. And a commitment means you're going to have to decide on gee, exactly what is it. I'm going to do. What's my plan, right, to make this happen? You know, Pastor Chris talked last week about, about longing for the word. Well, if I'm going to really know Jesus Christ, right, and follow him more fully, i got to listen to him. I have to hear him. I have to hear what the word of God says. So I've got to be in the word. So that's a great place to start. Pick a time. Pick a place. If you need somebody to help you, partner with you, whatever, to hold you accountable, but to encourage you on, right? Get a witness. Get a witness. So that you can can run. You can run more freely. He says at the end, he says, "Don't, don't grow weary and lose heart. Look, look at all those witnesses. Can you hear them? Can you hear them cheering you on? I, I can only imagine. that one day, probably sooner than we think, one day, we're going to come out of the woods. At least the house it was in cross country when I ran Mount Blue. I don't know if they still do that or not. You come out of the woods, and then you go up on the track. You come out of the woods, you're up on the track, and then you see the finish line. There it is. Wow. There it is. You're going to round the corner, and you're going to see the end of the race. And at that moment, I don't think you're going to be hearing the witnesses cheering you on anymore. I think they're going to be cheering for the one who's standing at the finish line, Jesus Christ. He's the lion, and he's the lamb. He's the great I am. The one who starred you off in the race is the one who's been with you every single step of the way. And he is the one waiting for you as you cross the line and bringing you safely home. 
musicians can come on up at this time. Whatever it takes, whatever you have to do to rid yourself of whatever's hindering you from running the race, your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, through you the darkness flees. Through you there is victory. Through you our heart screams, I am free. Yes, I am free to run.